All right. Let's, uh, let's say a prayer and get rolling. Hold your hands with me. Lord God, Heavenly Father, bless us as we study your word. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, that always directed to look to the cross of Jesus, we may place all our trust in the victory he won over the grave. In your most holy name we pray. Amen. All right. How's it going? It's a big crowd today. Thanks for coming Coming out, this is now, this is the last, the seventh word from the cross is on the docket for today, but there is another bookmark, in case you can't find the very last part of the book, um, you can stick it, it's, and, and, and there's some uh, scripture to read. So, a couple of the scenes that come after the crucifixion, like Joseph of Arimathea and, and the burial of Jesus' body, and um, Jesus' side being pierced with a spear and blood and water coming, coming out. Those are the things to read for next week, along with the last little epilogue on, in the book. Um, so, come back next week for that. Pastor Nelson will wrap things up. Um, and then we'll pick up again after Easter. Any questions? No questions. Okay. Well, let's, let's dive right in. I, so, here's the thing. I have, there were a bunch of things... I have all these stacks of things that were accumulating on my desk over the course of this Bible study, things that I thought might be interesting to share with you, and on my computer too, and uh, I didn't get a chance to share them over the course of the last several weeks. So if we run out of things to say, I've got like six small things to share with you. So completely unrelated, non-sequiturs, it'll just, it'll be, just, we'll see what happens, okay? So take a look at the seventh word, and uh, I think the first thing to do here is just to read the scripture text. So... This is at the very end of St. Luke's uh, crucifixion scene. And remember, we've had, we've had two other words from the cross in Luke. Which are, do you remember which ones those are? You're all talking amongst yourselves, are you? <laughs> any, 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 any recollection? Father, forgive them. Okay, so that's the first word that we heard, right? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. A word of forgiveness. Today you will be with me in paradise. To the thief on the cross, right? A word of comfort. Today we have this word, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Here's the whole, the whole or the, a little bit broader context. I want to read even more context in just a minute. But it was, now, it was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon because of an eclipse of the sun. Then the veil of the temple was torn down the middle. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. So this last word, Father, into your hand. First of all, this has occurred to me. Um, I didn't realize in the translation in the book that you have. It says, because of an eclipse of the sun, which isn't quite accurate. Um, this took place during the Passover, the celebration of the Passover, which is a full moon. So there, was, there could not have been an eclipse. But the, the, um, it's really interesting. In the, in the Greek text, it says something more along the lines of the... The sun was, was extinguished, um, which really means the sun, the sun stopped doing what it was supposed to do for those three hours. It was there. There was nothing in its way, but it wasn't, it wasn't going. Okay? We'll talk more about that in a bit, but it wasn't, it wasn't merely a natural phenomenon. In fact, it, it, was in, it was impossible for it to have been an, a natural phenomenon because of the lunar cycle. Okay, but anyways... Uh, we'll talk more about that. Father, into your hands I commend, I commend my spirit. We had a word of forgiveness, a, wor- a word of comfort. What kind of a word is this that Jesus speaks from the cross? Surrender? Good. Um, uh, that's, that's a good word for it. Um, can you think of a more um, Christianese word? Obedient, okay. Those, absolutely, yes. Those things are, what's that? Submission. submission, these are all great words. This is not the word I'm thinking of, but these are all great words. <laughs> Carol. Peace, okay. Absolutely. Yeah, right. Uh, handing over responsibility, right? Um, anything else? Any other? Yeah, Sandy. I'm sorry? Commitment. Okay, so uh, what's going to happen? I, I'm going down this road, right? 
I'm going to breathe my last, and then it's going to be, it's going to be it. Jan. Mm-hmm. And now I'm committing himself back to his father. Yeah. And so it's like restoration. Right. Right. Absolutely. So all of these things are true. Uh, the word I was thinking of was, was much less sophisticated than all of the things you said. I was just thinking of trust. So, um, but uh, this is all related because it goes back to the first commandment, okay? This is, what Jesus is doing here is... Um, Fulfilling the first commandment, right? He's having no other gods but his father. Um, and that, in, that involves, uh, what was the words you said, Julie? Surrender. So, yeah, surrendering his will to his father's will. Um, submitting obedience. Obedience and, and trust and faith. In fact, in fact the words, uh, faith means basically obedience, right? It means saying, okay, yes, amen. The, the re- response of faith, amen, means Whatever you say goes, right? It's the response of Mary. Lord, let it be to me according to your will. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And it's, it's this commitment to his Father's will. And uh, absolutely. So, so we have um, in Luke this picture of Jesus where, and we really see this, we really see this in, the, in the text here. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Uh, what does that tell you about Jesus' death? Who's doing the verb in that sentence? He did it, right? Um, and that's been true all along. I'm spinning, we're going we're to come back to this in just a minute. But take a look at the broader context. I, this, I think it's so interesting. Take a look. Open up your Bibles. Everybody have a Bible? Anybody need a Bible? Yeah. Luke 23. Anybody else need a Bible? Luke 23, and so the stories that we've heard so far, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, and today you will be with me in paradise. Those two uh, phrases come in the, it's probably divided up into paragraphs in your Bible, verses 32 through 38, and then 39 through 43. Those are the first two words, and then we get this last word, in 44 through 49. So that you see it in these three sections here. But there's another word that Jesus speaks, which comes beforehand, not while he's on the cross, but this, is, this sort of sets the context for the crucifixion. Beginning at verse 26. So I'm going to read this, starting at verse 26 through verse 49. And just listen, especially for the first part, and see if you can describe... Um, uh, so remember John, when we read John... It was all about fulfillment of the scriptures, right? All these things happened in order that the scriptures might be fulfilled, right? So John is showing us that Jesus is filling up the scriptures, doing what the scriptures told, foretold was going to happen, and, and um, he is serving as the culmination, the consummation of God's plan, right? What is Luke doing? That's the question. What is Luke doing? How is Luke portraying Jesus? Verse 26, As they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women, who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. 
But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, when the sun's light failed. That's a better translation. The sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Okay. So, what are your reactions? Carol. Okay, right. Until I'd say the very end, I was like, okay, it's done now. Mm-hmm. Here's my spirit back. Right, right, absolutely. Um, and and so, so Jesus is focusing on that. Luke is focusing on that too. Um, when, you, when you hear this, do you see in your, do you see in your mind a, a bloody, beaten, scourged, suffering Jesus? You see a compassion in Jesus, right? In fact, I mean, the thing that strikes me is that first, that first paragraph, you, you know, these words from the cross that he says, they're sort of like little phrases, right? Um, not, not many words. But here he is, not even having the strength to carry his own cross, and he stops and turns to the women and, and gives this monologue, right? I mean, it's what? It's, it's like six, seven lines long, right? Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves, and for your children. And he goes on and on. Um, all of which is to show that Jesus was, was, one, in control of the situation the whole time, right? He was suffering unbearably, but what was his, what was his purpose in his suffering? It wasn't self-pity. It wasn't to, to highlight his misery, but love, right? And even here, it's this word, uh, this thing that he says to the women isn't, it isn't, um, it's a warning, right? He says, don't, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves, right? Um, you, you, if you see me suffering, know why I'm suffering, right? Uh, and it's, because, it's, it's for the sake of Jerusalem and for the sake of the, the city that's abandoned me. Um, okay. It's kind of, right, exactly. It's kind of like when he says, uh, when the bridegroom is present, people, you know, the people, uh, nobody fasts when the bridegroom is present, but when he leaves, then fasting starts. So one of the things that this is often tied to, if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dried? This is often tied to specifically the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, which is a really, a really significant historical event. So Jesus is gone, and he said all of these things about the temple, which we know he was talking finally about his body, but still, the temple as an institution keeps on going until AD 70, and then it's destroyed, right? And, uh, and, and, and not rebuilt. Um, so it's destroyed, and what's left is, is Jesus' body. Um, and he says, and the Jews uh, are scattered, right? The Jews are scattered. And he, so he says, flee to the mountains. When you see these signs, flee to the mountains. Don't look back. Um, run to safety. Because uh, there's going to be coming a time of persecution, right? And, and he's, he's talking about the time when the wood is dry, which is, which is from then until now, right? Okay. Yes? Well, what struck me is that John pretty much, he just thinks that this is what happened to you. There's this old involved. Luke brings in so many other people. Simon and Cyrene. Right. Right. Yeah, I, and what's the what's the climax of the story really? After he breathes his last, the centurion. Surely this man was the son of God. Right. Um, it, it, that was John Wayne. That was a terrible. Jo- I'm sorry. <laughs> 
shoot, I ruined that. I'm just terrible. What was, the, what was that, the greatest story ever told? Okay, yeah, John, John Wayne's cameo as the centurion. But really, what's the culmination of this? Uh, now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. And everybody, everybody at that point, everybody knew, according to Luke, everybody knew what had happened. They all went home and, and were, were struck uh, by this spectacle. Um, and they, and there, was no, there was no doubt in their mind about, about what had just gone on, that this innocent man had suffered and died. But again, it's, it's, for Jesus, it's all about these other people. Okay. Let's, let's tr- change course for just a minute here. Let's take a look at um, what Romanus Cesario says. And my question for you is, oh, he says a lot of interesting things. Um, what stands out to you? Is there anything that stands out to you, anything you want to talk about in the reading, in his meditation? Nothing? Okay. What, if, if you were going to sum it up, um, what, is, what does he see as the, the main point? Okay. Okay. Good. How? Can you, can you draw the connection for us? Right. So, so uh, yeah, Donna, were you going to say something? Right. Absolutely. So there's, there's two sides to it, right? So, and I think this is really insightful. Um, when, Jesus, uh, when Jesus commends himself into his Father's hands, uh, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, what has he done? It's interesting. What has he done with his body? Um, now, it's his, his, Jesus is, is uh, fully human and fully divine as soon as he's incarnate, born of the Virgin Mary. So you don't separate, you don't ever separate those two. But to whom has he given his body and his blood, right? Even before he's crucified, he's, he's commended his body and his blood to us, which is a remarkable thing, right? So he trusts his father. He trusts his father to, to vindicate him, to raise him from the dead. Um, and he entrusts to us his body and, and blood. Which so this this language of commendation, I commend Father into your hands, I commend my spirit. Um, it, it turns both ways, but also uh, Romanus Cesario sees this as an important example for us. How is it an example for us, Jan? Well, we need to commend our lives to our Savior long prior to death. Right. Yeah. Um, so his his whole thesis is. Uh, we should be practicing this all along because in the moment of your death, it shouldn't be a new thing for you to commend yourself to God's care, right? For you to be able to, for you to say, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, should, should just roll off your tongue because it's what you've been doing your whole life. Carol. Right. Because, I mean, his, his body was, gonna, was, was dying, was suffering destruction, right? right? I, I, I don't think, I don't, so I haven't thought this through, so I wouldn't, I would be hesitant to make too much of it. Is there a significance? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Um, although, um, That's a really good question. Um, the I, I think the word here is is um, pneuma, breath, spirit, the Holy Spirit, um, which is set over against the physical body, right? Um, and so that's important for us to understand because uh, we have to get this. We have to get this straight as Christians because in the resurrection, what happens to your bodies? In the resurrection. You get, yeah, you get them back better, right? Um, we're not, so it, it, uh, a, lot of, a lot of folks um, early on in the history of the church said, oh, we must, this must be the problem. The flesh, our flesh is evil, 
and our spirit is a good thing. So we'll get rid of the flesh and we'll just hang on to the spirit, right? We'll try and cultivate the spirit and forget about our bodies. That's not true at all, right? God made us as people, body and soul, and he said, it's very good, right? Um, and so the same thing is true on the cross. Now, what, what is the reason why on the cross Jesus, before he dies, is going to commend his spirit to God? It's because his, his body is going to die, right? His body and his, his spirit are going to, I mean, in this wholly unnatural way, right? This is not supposed to happen to people. His spirit leaves his body, right? Um, and it's only, it's only in the resurrection that he, they're, they're, they're brought back together, right? Um, and so while his body is dying, there's this great verse from the hymn, God's Own Child, I Gladly Say It. How does it go? Um, Death, you cannot end my gladness. I am baptized into Christ. When I die, I leave all sadness to inherit paradise. While my flesh awaits its raising, still my soul continues praising. Uh, I can't remember how it ends, but that's the important part. While my flesh awaits its raising, still my soul continues praising, right? Which is, which is, kind of what's, which is exactly what's going on here. So Jesus is asking God to take care of his spirit while he awaits the resurrection. And this is the same language. I mean, this, this is all throughout the Psalms. Um, Abandon not my soul to Sheol, right? When, when my body dies, don't let my soul suffer hell, okay? Um, but we look forward to, we look forward to the last day with the resurrection of the flesh. Krista. Um, we, we talked last time, but is it just um, when the um, thief on the cross said, and uh, Jesus uh, promised him, he will be made with me in paradise. Right. Um, so as he, when we die, don't we go to the paradise? Right, yeah. 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 Right. Uh, and I mean, try this deciphering that. What that what exactly that means is beyond. It's, I mean, we don't have we. All we know is it's going to be really good, and then it's going to get even better, right? Because uh, it's going to you know. And t- while our souls are commended to God's care uh, in the resurrection of all flesh, it's going to be even better, right? Um, but in both cases, it's paradise, right? Um, it's this great, it's this fantastic notion that although you can, have, you can have something perfect, right? You can have something perfect and it can get even better. Normally, philosophers say if something gets better, that means it was, it was inferior before. There was something lacking. But this is, I mean, this is the, 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 the miraculous thing about, about God and his gracious, his overflowing love, right? That you can have a full cup and it can get fuller, okay? That you can have paradise, and it can get better. And um, that's, that's what we have to look forward to. Okay. What else? Anything else from the book? Donna. They mentioned, I mentioned holy anointing. Yes. How did that come to be, and um, should we uh, look forward to that? These are great questions. So what he talks about anointing. Now, in the Roman Catholic Church... There is the sacrament of extreme unction, of holy anointing, which is what's done, um, and it, ha- you, they, it has all of these um, requisites. So the oil has to be consecrated by a bishop, and it's performed you know, in conjunction with the, uh, uh, the Eucharist as the last thing, right? Um, this comes from, so the, open up your Bibles. There's a couple places, a couple texts that are at the root of this. Um, Mark 6, Mark 6, uh, this is near the beginning of Jesus' ministry, um, and he's starting to experience this resistance. He's, he's rejected in Nazareth at the beginning of Mark 6, and then he sends out the apostles, the 12 apostles, and, and look, verse 7, he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if the place will not receive you, then, and they will not listen to you, then when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet. It's a testimony against them. So they went out, verse 12, and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil 
many who were sick, and healed them. So, in the ministry of the apostles, in this ministry of the apostles, anointing the sick with oil was, was part of their, their care for those who were, who, uh, for whom they desired healing. We hear something also about this in James chapter 5. You might, you might be more familiar with this. Um, I'll just read it to you real quick. James chapter 5. James says, Is any one of you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Okay, so uh, there's this strong, there's this strong uh, reference to anointing with oil as something that's done for the sick. And when else is anointing done? Do you know? In baptism, right? Yeah. Um, this is where, uh, I mean, the Roman Catholics tend to call it christening. The word chrism, christen, has to do with anointing. And it's all, it's all um, in some ways, it's, it's, it's rooted in the semantics, the language of it. So when Jesus comes up from his baptism from the Jordan River, the Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove, anointing him, and then he, what, right, he goes into the, he goes into, um, the synagogue and says, uh, um, uh, behold, these, these words are today, th- these words are fulfilled in your hearing. What were those words? I've anointed, right? I, how does it go? I'm anointed to, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, right? So there's a strong connection, at least symbolically, between anointing with oil, which was customary for all kinds of things, and the Holy Spirit, right? So what are other times anointing happens in the Bible? Nancy? Well, all the kings. All the kings, right? So Samuel goes to Bethlehem, and he's, remember, he looks at, he looks at the sons of, of uh, Jesse and says, the biggest and strongest one, oldest one, he must be, a, nope, 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 nope. Here's David, and he anoints him with oil. Now, what's so interesting is that this is, well, this is a whole other thing, but David's anointed, but he doesn't become king yet, right? He's set apart for kingship, but he's not king yet. Uh, so you anoint kings, you anoint priests. Um, it's connected with washing. There was no washing. There was no washing that happened apart from oil, right? Oil was, I mean, as regularly as we use soap, they used oil when they washed. Um, and so there's this really strong connection between oil symbolically as what designates something that's set apart for a particular purpose and that marks holy things. Marks things that God is consecrating, right? And so it's not surprising that we should find this symbol attached to um, healing, right? So when you go anoint, anoint the sick, right? Um, now there's all these great benefits that come with this symbol, right? So um, one is that we're engaged in all of our senses, right? Oil is fragrant, um, and we get to say to folks who uh, you know who were baptized. Um, you know, this, you're, the smell that you smell when we anoint you is that's the same. That's the same smell that you smelled when you were baptized, right? Um, and and it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful reminder of baptism. Now, um, so the problem is in the Roman Catholic Church, extreme unction anointing at the at the end of one's life became um, its own thing. It took on a life of its own. And this, is, this was sort of, if you were going to diagnose a lot of the things that went wrong in the Roman Catholic Church, it boiled down to this, that things took on a life of their own apart from the words and promises of Jesus. So, in fact, we don't have particular words and promises of Jesus. He doesn't say, like he says with the water, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He doesn't say, anointing them and they'll be healed, right? He doesn't say that, but we see it, we see the connection. Um, so to ascribe more significance to it is to, to sort of step outside the bounds of Scripture. And also, it was assigned particular significance at the time of death. Okay? So this special grace for when you die. Okay? Now, this is not to say that um, what happens when you die is not important. Go ahead, Donna. That's right, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so here, let me hand this out. This is, we have in, in our, uh, we have in, among our rites, what's called the commendation of the dying. And this is, 
because because it's important. Um, and this is this is in some ways uh, just a continuation. It's exactly in line with what Romana Cesario is saying. This is um, at the end of your life, the fulfillment of what what's been going on your whole life. Your your life has been commended to God's care. Now, what's interesting? What can happen? Do you need more copies over there? You got okay. We, uh, just just as a, as a note, past, pastorally, we kind of have to be we have to be um, cautious about how we use the commendation of the dying because um, we're not people aren't used to talking and hearing this way, right? So the, la- the turn to the um, second to last page is a prayer. It's page one hundred five. Um, sorry, not the prayer, but the blessing that's in the middle of the page. This is what we say. I copied the wrong thing. This is the this is the right for the commendation of the dying when no pastor is present. There's also one for when a pastor is present, and the only difference is that the, there's a confession and absolution, and the pastor says, "I forgive you your sins." When the pastor's not present, they, it's just an assur- it's an assurance of God's forgiveness, but it's not carried out by the office. And then the blessing at the end is a different kind of blessing. But that's neither here nor there. This is the same thing. You say the name, go in peace. May God the Father who created you, may God the Son who redeemed and saved you with his blood, may God the Holy Spirit who sanctified you in the water of holy baptism receive you into the company of saints and angels to await the resurrection and live in the light of his glory forevermore. So, um, why might that be a difficult thing to hear for somebody who's dying or the people who are with somebody who's dying? It's really final, isn't it? Go in peace, right? Um, It's the last thing, it's our last prayer for you, right? Now, which can be kind of shocking, right? And so um, we're always kind of cautious to make sure that um, we don't, that that, uh, somebody who's dying knows that they're dying before we say this kind of a blessing, right? Because otherwise, uh, otherwise it it can be really disturbing. But on the other hand, um, knowing that this is coming, right? Knowing that this is what we're going to do for you um, should inform how you, how you uh, think about your life right now, right? So that someday a pastor is going to come and say, go in peace. And that's a really good thing, right? It's a blessing that uh, the pastor is going to commend you to God's care um, and, and say these prayers. So this, this right is sort of um, our version, right, of, uh, and, it, and it includes confession and absolution, the Eucharist, um, all these prayers, and then the words of the great song of, of, of Simeon, Lord, now let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. Um, I, I, I was in, interested in getting this in your hands, in fact, because you might not know that this, is, that this exists, that this is, this is what we do. Um, but just like Romanus Cesario says, uh, it shouldn't, be a, it shouldn't be a new thing for you when you're on your deathbed, right? Um, it's like, oh, it's this, it's this verse, that is, uh, the verse of the hymn that's at the bottom of page 105. Let it, Lord, let at last thine angels come to Abram's bosom, bear me home. So when we come, when we come to our deathbeds and uh, we know we're going to die, um, our prayer is uh, not, is not um, a prayer of fear, but a prayer of confidence, Right? I know that when I leave this body, God's sending His angels to take to take me to Abram's bosom. Right? That today I will be with you in par- be with Him in paradise. Right? Uh, and and that's what this is designed to do. Now, it can get it can go wrong as it did in the Roman Catholic Church when it becomes this this requisite, this necessary thing, this last thing you have to do. You have to get it in and confess all your last sin before beforehand. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble. Right? That's not what this is about. This is this is saying the same things that we've said all along. Um, you're in the care of God, and you will go in peace, right? It's the same thing we say um, in the divine service, right? Go in peace, right? Yeah. Because I think we are so earthbound that we are afraid. Yeah. Otherwise, I think we should be joyful right. to die. Right. You know, just to take the, the fear out of it. Mm-hmm. Because um, it, it's, you are sometimes, you know, even um, sickness and hardship and everything. And, but I think this earthbound that we are afraid. 
Yeah. Well, and, and, and that's why, that, that's where I, I, I think we can really resonate with what Romana Cesario is saying, right? Um, I always think about the, do you know this prayer, this, child, this nighttime prayer? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, and I always thought, I, that terrified me when I was, a, I was a kid. But if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Um, talking about the, the inevitability of death, and the good grace that we receive in death when, when God sends his angels to take us home makes it, it's, a learn, it's, it's something that we learn not to be afraid of. Um, but by nature, we, we are, right? Um, because it's, it's so final. Um, so uh, this is, again, why we pray in the litany um, that we would be spared from sudden and evil death, right? Because lest we be taken unawares, right? Spared sudden and evil death. Okay, Donna. My father-in-law told um, his sister-in-law and, and, and his wife and mother-in-law that he could see the angels coming hmm. before he died. He was at home yeah. and he was on his deathbed. Yeah. And I heard somebody else say that, too, that some family member told them before uh, he or she was dying that they saw the angels coming. You know, and I, I think um, it's, it shouldn't surprise us if uh, God grants special comforts to those who are dying um, that to, to instill them with confidence, right? It shouldn't surprise us. Yeah. Marilyn. Well, if I don't want to ask my question then if we're not finished with that topic, honestly. Because it's a little, it's from the book. That's okay. Let's, let's, we'll do it. Let's go. It's on page 77. Yes. And it's where talking about the food that you Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's not something that I, I guess I've ever thought about. Okay. Not that he couldn't. He couldn't. Yeah, right. Not that he couldn't. It's not in the Bible. Um, we'll put it that way. Uh, and the Jesus' descent into hell is is we don't we, we learn very very little about it. Kind of like anointing, right? Even less than anointing. First um, Peter is where we hear about his descent into hell. And uh, I can just read it to you. It's just a short verse here. Um, you, you'll, you'll recognize this. Um, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So what does that say? It says, made alive in the Spirit, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Uh, which includes those who didn't believe when Noah was building his ark, right? Um, now, what, is it, what, does, what does it not tell us? Well, yeah, what he said to them, right? What he proclaimed, um, or whether he was recruiting, you know? Um, proclaiming the gospel. That was a terrible way to put it, I know. Um, now, this, this tradition that uh, it's the, the harrowing of hell, that he goes into hell proclaiming victory um, and freeing those saints who um, died before he was crucified, it's, it, I mean, it took on legendary proportions and it's related to the doctrine of purgatory, right? So that there's a place, a holding place, um, this... this uh, uh, this limbo, that's the technical term for it, this limbo for God, for the saints. Now, we don't, I, I don't, we don't, we can't say positively one way or the other where the saints are who died in, in the Old Testament, except that they're with Jesus, right? Um, because precisely what the thief says on the cross, or what he says to the thief on the cross. Um, what Jesus did when he descended into hell um, was most importantly proclaiming victory over death, right? So he goes into hell not, not bound and, and as one who merits hell, but as one who is victorious over death in the grave, right? That's the important thing, um, uh, that he's vindicated in the spirit, and in that vindication, he goes and, and, pro- and proclaims his victory, right? Um, so 
this is not, it's not surprising for Romanus Cesario to say this with such clarity and uh, certainty. It's just not quite so. Yeah. Yeah. So it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. That to be true. Yeah. And yeah. Right. And I mean, and, and so we do well to avoid saying things that go beyond what, what Scripture says, anyhow. So yeah, Krista. Um, in Germany, they they changed it from hell to the Reich des Toten. Oh yeah. You know so. Uh, mm-hmm. And and in fact, that's the the. Uh, the, the the, the the kingdom the the, the yeah. kingdom of the dead, yeah. um, in the in the Latin it's he descended to those who are in the infer- inferno, ad infernos to those who are ad inferos to those who are in the inferno. So he goes down to those who are in hell, right, um, to the kingdom of the dead, right. Um, but but you know so it's it's interesting. I mean, it it's relatively insignificant. I'll say this. It's relatively insignificant um, because the important stuff is what happens on the cross and in the resurrection. And what happened in between, um, all we know is that it was really, it was, um, it was, it was Christ's glorification. It was for his glory. That, in the, that when he gives up his spirit, when he commends his spirit into God's care and breathes his last, the victory has been won, right? Over the devil. Over the devil, yep, absolutely, yeah. Okay. All right. What else? Cindy. So, the, so what we have in Scripture is the very clear idea that um, that our sinful body, that our sinful flesh, is needs to is purged of its sinfulness, right? Um, that you pass through fire. Now, um, it's awfully convenient when, this is really cynical, but it's awfully convenient when, and not necessarily historical, I don't know, the, I'm, I'm qualifying this every way I can. It's awfully convenient um, at, to, when you want to assign specific quantities and measures to things and um, give people prescriptions for how to um, make up for their sins, atone for their sins, um, to assign certain lengths of time to that, that purgation, right? To that removal of sin, right? So, and it's, it's so easy, I mean, so, it's so easy to play on people's superstitions. And that's really one of the, the things that happened uh, quite a bit in, in the Roman Catholic Church. So, yeah, you're going you're gonna to be purged in the, in the fire, but it's all good at that point. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it, when you die, you're with Jesus in paradise, right? And uh, you're, the, the sinfulness that's, that's removed from you is not something that you're paying for. It's not, it's not that you're doing your time, right? Jesus paid for it. He did the time, right? He's paid for it. Um, so, it's, I mean, as with so many things, it's, uh, it's a flight of fancy um, in taking things that are in Scripture and expanding them in a way that that um, makes sense to to our superstitions, makes sense to our, our the way we think about justice, right? Um, and that's that's part of the problem is it's our sense of justice is upside down. And in fact, if it, if that's the whole point is that the gospel is God's justice is um, is all about mercy and grace, right? Okay, good question. All right. Let's see here. Um, we have only five minutes. Val said that if that I should that because uh, of some scheduling stuff, you have to go pick up your kids before ten thirty. Otherwise, she's just going to let them loose. <laughs> so we have to. So and, and and it takes a little while to get down there. I know. So we're going to stop at ten fifteen on the dot. Um, so let me see here. Um, she didn't actually say that. I. Yeah. Here, okay, a couple more things to look at. We, this, you've, you've all uh, been thinking very deep thoughts, so let's think a couple more deep thoughts. Um, look at the seventh word, the context for the seventh word. There's two things that happen, two physical events that happen. What are they? 
the darkness, right? The sun failed, and what's the other thing? Okay. Uh, was there an earthquake in Luke? I don't think there's an earthquake in Luke. As in Mark, yeah. Yeah, one or the other. Um, so, it's, so, okay, so now the, Luke tells us about these two things that happened. What, does, what do they mean? Why, why does he tell us? Okay. So, oh, and uh, now explain that. He has, um, uh, he has power over elements. Okay. So, so either either Jesus is making these things happen, or perhaps um, you could say uh, it's such an outrageous thing for the Son of God to die that the Earth, re- the the net, the universe reacts this way. Okay. Well. Pretty thick. Is the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies where the mercy seat was that the high priest only went into once a year to sprinkle the blood for the atonement of himself and all the people. And now the atonement is made. It's split open. We don't need the priest, only the high priest to go into Right. Did everybody, everybody hear what Jan said there? Okay. Yeah. Exactly. So, so the curtain separates the the whole the holy place from the holy of holies. The holy of holies contains the ark of the covenant, on top of which sits the mercy seat, on, on which God's glory descends. Um, it's the presence of God among His people. But nobody could go in there except for the high priest just once a year, and when he went in. He took two handfuls of burning incense so that he wouldn't accidentally see God's glory, right? It was, it was hidden in the cloud of smoke. And, uh, and when he went in, he had to, they, there were all these things, like he had to leave uh, his, his clothes outside, part of his, part of his clothes outside and go in. And, um, and he had to make sacrifice for himself before he went in. So all of that was um, ongoing continually, right? The writer of the Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, um, deals with this extensively. Chapters 9 and 10, if you get a chance, look at them, and it explains it, it, explains it so well. Um, but now that the temple, the, the veil has been torn in two, the curtain has been torn in two, the Holy of Holies is exposed, right? That, holy, that most holy place that nobody can go in is exposed, it's open. Anybody can go in. But even more uh, significant than that is where is God's, where is God's presence with his people now? Okay, uh, that's true. That's, yeah. um, do you remember when uh, in, in John, when Jesus, is, they go to Jerusalem and they say, uh, the disciples say, look at all these marvelous stones. I think, this is, I think this is how it goes. I might be conflating stories. The temple is so beautiful. And Jesus says, this temple's going to be destroyed, not one stone standing on top of another but I tell you, in three days, I'll raise it again. And John comments on it. It says he was talking about the temple of his body. Right? So uh, when the, the curtain is torn in two, not only is the most holy place expo- exposed, but we don't, you don't go in there anymore. The glory has come out of the temple. And you talked about this last week, right? Jesus is glorified on the cross. He is the glory of God in his, in his flesh. Right? Jesus is the new temple. So if you want to get to God, you don't go to a building. You go to Jesus. Right? You go to Jesus. Um, the person who dwells with us now. Not just, not, not an institution. Much, much more than an institution. I mean, the, the temple was a failing institution. And then finally it was destroyed. So now we have the person of Jesus. Okay? Um, all right. Carol? The darkness. The darkness you have, yeah, you the darkness, but you have the light of the world. Right. So you can't have light. Right. Then you have songs that say in the darkness, there is no darkness. So here's, we'll trace it through real quick, right? So in Genesis, on the first day, what does God make? What's the What does he make on the second day? 
right? Okay, now this is going to become tiresome. He makes on one of those days uh, the sun and the moon and the stars, right? <laughs> okay, so he makes light and dark, and then it's the fourth day, I think, he makes the sun and the moon and the stars. Is that right? Maybe not. Yeah. Okay. Um, and he says it's good, right? He says it's good. This light is good. Jesus stands up and says on the Temple Mount, I am the light of the world. Um, uh, the psalmist David says, uh, the Lord is my, uh, my light and my salvation, right? Whom shall I, fe- whom shall I fear? Um, Revelation, go all the way to the end now. In the New Temple, uh, Revelation chapter, chapter 1, here, this will sum it up for you. Um, so the, the sun has been extinguished. The sun has failed when Jesus dies, but then it returns. And what, what happens? Um, let's see here. Sorry, Revelation 21. Very end of the book. 22 to 25. I saw the temple. I saw no temple in the city. So Jesus is the temple. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Right? So. In this, this, these hours of the crucifixion, these three hours of the crucifixion, it's a return to this primordial chaos, right? Before there was any light. Um, but the point is, just like this, before, the cro- before glory comes the cross, before this, this radiant light that never ends, there's this darkness. Um, and it all, it, all cor- it all ties together with Jesus um, suffering um, as, as the, the manifestation of his glory, Okay? So out of that darkness comes a light which is never extinguished. All right, we got to go. You got to go get your kids. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Come back next week, grab a bookmark to see what you need to read for next week.